and welcome to PodCastle. I'm Dave Thompson. And I'm Anna Schwind, and we are here with something especially exciting for you today. It is our very last spotlight. <laughs> it's our very last time uh, getting up, or at least for me, getting up at like the butt crack of dawn and uh, talking to you, Anna. And the weird thing is, I'm really going to miss it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so to, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna live. I'm gonna be able to live with myself, but I'm gonna miss it too. But it has been kind of unique these sessions where we get together and talk about uh, stories and books that we loved and that we want to share with you. And today's novel is Ferret Steinmetz's debut novel titled Flex. Ferret Steinmetz, if you've been listening to Podcastle, you've heard him a couple of times here. We've ran two of his stories, uh, As Below, So Above, which was the uh, one with the uh, mad scientist and the and the kraken-like monster uh, that lived in its moat, and then uh, like the, the Heartbreaker, which was A Window Clears a Mirror. Um, those are the two we featured here at Podcastle, but if you've been listening to any of the Escape Artist podcasts, you've heard them there too. Uh, all three of our podcasts really love Ferret. And so when he told us that his debut novel was coming out and he wanted to do something special for us for PodCastle, we, we were all over that. So we're excited to have him here. Um, and we've got some special stuff for you guys. So make sure that you hang on. Um, but first, let's hear what Ferret has to say about uh, getting to writing Flex. The one question I get asked about my new novel Flex, and I've been asked it over and over again, is this. Why do you talk so much about donuts? And, yeah, there's a lot of talk about donuts in Flex, and there's a lot of video game in-jokes, and there's a lot of talk about bureaucracy, and there's a lot of crazy magic. And there's a reason why all this stuff is in Flex, which is because Flex is a novel where I finally gave up hope. Which sounds weird, but as Flex is published, I am now 45. I had been writing novels since I was 15 years old, and I had written seven novels, all of which were terrible, none of which actually sold. Um, and if you look, there's a couple of pages where I detail all of my struggles over the past 30 years trying to sell it. I got a lot better when I went to Clarion, uh, the writer's workshop in 2008. But the truth is, for many years, I kept writing books that were going to be commercial. And I hope you can see the little air quotes I'm putting around it there. Um, but what I kept doing was I would write books, and I'm like, oh, well, you know what's big? Uh, love triangles. I need a love triangle. That's going to be awesome. Or I'd sit here and go, I need to write a sweeping epic fantasy. And I kept writing these things over and over again. And it's not that they weren't heartfelt in their own way, but I kept trying to write books that I thought people would want to read, which turned out not to be a really good thing because seven novels hit the skids and nobody wanted to read them. And finally, by the time I started writing Flex, I just had abandoned all hope. I didn't think I would ever get published. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going to write a novel that's got everything I want in it. And in a sense, Flex is helplessly self-indulgent. Um, it talks a lot about donuts. Why? Because I love Dunkin' Donuts. I am addicted to Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I will drink it every day. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to have a guy who's obsessed with donuts in my book. And in fact, uses donuts as a way of interpreting people's personality. 
I love video games. So I decided to create a system based around video games, a magic system based around video games, where somebody could uncork stuff and go all Grand Theft Auto on people. Um, I think bureaucracy is a really, really good thing for people. And so the lead character of my book is a bureaucromancer. He does uh, magic using paperwork. Not particularly good in a fight, but that's what the video game mancer is for. And so Flex is really the culmination of me in a lot of weird ways. Um, and the thing that I learned about writing Flex is that for the first time, I was really writing a book meant for me. I occasionally get asked questions like, you know, well, what other books are like Flex? And the strict answer is, I can't think of any other books that are like Flex, which is a douchey-sounding answer. But if they existed, then I wouldn't have written this book because those other books are so great. Um, I just wrote a book that was purely happily for my own self-amusement. And it turns out that, of course, that's the one that's resonated. Um, I'm really happy right now because people who seem to be reading Flex seem to like it a lot. And if you've listened to any of my other stories on any of the uh, the pod networks, then I'm pretty sure you'll like Flex. But, you know... It's a weird, weird novel, and I'm really, really proud of it. And the only advice I could give you is if you're a writer and you're trying to sell a novel, write it for you and you alone. Thanks. Thank you, Ferret, for that enlightening view into the process of creating this novel, Flex. And now we'd like to give you... um, a little taste, a few ideas of the things that we most especially enjoyed about Flex, uh, hopefully to help you decide uh, if you want to go out and buy it and read it. Um, so I thought we would start, Dave, with the setting um, and, the, and the genre. Flex is a thriller, and it's unapologetically and unabashedly a thriller. There's lots of energy, lots of action, and lots of stuff going on, lots of peril, Lots of danger, lots of sticky situations. Sticky. Lots of <laughs> sticky situations. <laughs> right from the get-go. Uh, there, yeah, it's, it's a really exciting book. It's a page-turner. Um, I've heard that Ferrets received emails from a bunch of people who have missed like, their bus stop or their, tr- or their metro stop or whatever because they couldn't stop reading, which... Um, I, I can totally buy, actually. I mean, it, you just keep going and, and going on it. But, there's, there's a very compelling narrative pace that keeps... Yeah. The wheels keep moving, the train keeps moving, everything is going forward, there's momentum. And the weird, one of the weird things about that is that it's, it's one of the few thrillers that I've read that stars a guy who's all about the paperwork. <laughs> um, the, the main character, Paul is a bureaucromancer um and he just has a, an insane love for paperwork he obsesses over paperwork and he feels that like you know paperwork is the thing is is it makes an equal playing board like everybody's got the get arm a driver. of justice yeah fundamentally it is what uh, keeps unfair things from staying unfair. You fill out the right form, you get your justice. That said, he also works for a slimy insurance company. And, um, like, the insurance company is definitely slimy in this book. Um, so, 
Yeah, it, 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 it's it's an it, I, I as a character, I find him really, really fascinating and interesting. And who would have thought, you know, a guy doing paperwork would be the hero of a thriller, um, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, the nice thing is that he's sort of an everyman. He's had some some kind of unique life experiences, and he has a background in policing, and so he's not literally an everyman. But he's not particularly heroic. He's just a guy. And so that helps in terms of identifying with him and identifying with his interests and his passions and his danger that he's that he's in. He's definitely in over his head. The situations all around him are definitely bigger than he is. Yeah. And <laughs> he has a, a sort of not to give too much away or reveal too much about the backstory. He has this re- heroic reputation that's one of those that accrued kind of from blind luck like he did something that the world adulates but that he feels fundamentally guilty about and also didn't think was that great (laughs) you know it was like accidental good fortune you know so um he's he's also disabled yes um, which you which you learn you know from the get-go um he's got a prosthetic leg and uh you know i mean but that's something that I found pretty refreshing too, ha- having a character with a disability, and um, that's not we, their we just, secret. It's not their secret strength. Exactly. It's not brushed away when plot when the plot needs it not to be there. It's it's there. It exists. It's real. It forms and shapes who they are, but isn't the end all and be all of who who he is. Um, I, I I thought that was played fairly well considering how poorly it usually is played. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Paul is the protagonist of the story, but there's a bunch of other characters in the story. Um, that and- was very delightful, in fact, the variety of characters. There's pretty much somebody for everybody in this. There's a menagerie. There's a there's a vast set of people to choose from and to ally with and to be interested in and to want to follow their stories. The secondary characters were fairly well developed. At least I thought so. Yeah. And we, something, you know, if you've been listening to the spotlight, Anne and I love the secondary characters almost more than we love the (laughs) primary characters. That's not to bash on the primary characters, but I mean, if you, if you have a book with just blase secondary characters, then you really don't care. Um, But if you have a book with secondary characters that, you know, um, shine and pop and and all that stuff, then we're sold, right? Yeah, it helps helps fill fill out the world and and the setting, and it just makes everything more convincing. It makes it that much easier to suspend the disbelief. So one of the things, you know, that goes along with characters in Paul um, is, is the setting and the magic system. And the, the, this story feels, you know, as well as being a thriller, it's also like very much an, an urban uh, fantasy that, that feels urban and gritty. Um, and, and I've heard people compare it a little bit to Breaking Bad um, because That's there's this. The... Yeah, you, you want to take that? Well, because uh, one of the things that Paul does to try to get himself out of drug trouble is to. Um, decide to make drugs. And he's, of course, as inexpert as this, as you would imagine that he would be. And certainly as the character on Breaking Breaking Bad was at the beginning, he was like, I know chemistry, I can make drugs. (laughs) And so, and so the expected 
the expected play out of that is definitely part of how this works because it's very easy to get in over your head when you're suddenly trying to deal with drug dealers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the magic system here, um, is, is something that we both really loved a lot. Um, because, you know, while they're, while they're basically, you know, distilling magic to, to make this drug, um, the different kinds of magic out there are all based on things that you, you geek out over, right? And everybody exactly. geeks out over something different. You know, Paul geeks out over, uh, you know, paperwork and, and is a, a bureaucromancer. Uh, but the other characters, they geek they, out over other stuff. Yeah, they each have their own thing. And so finding your path, figuring out how your magic works is intrinsically tied to the subject that your magic sort of centers on the obsession that gave birth to magic in you in the first place. And so because of that, there's no such thing as a universal spell or a universal grimoire or, and, and basically they cannot teach one another how to do it because for everybody it's different. Right. And you can't so go to Hogwarts and figure out, you know, and take some classes and figure out, you know, from McGonagall and Snape and Dumbledore, you know how to do X, Y, and Z. You're you're on your own path. You're on your own journey, which makes sense because everybody's obsession is their own. And it's incredibly isolating. And I was very interested in thematically how that spoke to each person's experience of each, each magic wielder's experience of their life. Um, How basically magic, the magic always arises through an obsession that is tied to a form of escapism. And ultimately it's isolating the way all our escapist activities are. Uh, So the escapism is, is alienating too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Super interesting. Sorry, sorry to talk theme when we were supposed to talk magic, but there you go. It's all <laughs> well, tied together. It, it, it's it's cool. Neat yeah. little package. It's cool. Um, yeah, it, it's it, it's a really fun book, you guys. And it I mean, is. If you if you like ferret stuff that that we featured here, um, I think you're really gonna like it. And if you like urban fantasy um, or thrillers, I think that you're really really gonna enjoy this one. And if you like your thriller with a little bit of social commentary, you're really going to like it. Too. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a, a pretty decent dollop of social commentary in there. Um, you know, like we said, he works for an insurance company. Uh, the, 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 there's a lot of uh, healthcare issues happening. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, there's, a, if- there's a lot to chew on. And if you're looking for a book that's going to feature a protagonist who's disabled, a variety of different characters that aren't, you know, the same color or the same type or this or, or the same background, if you're looking for variety, which is often what I'm looking for, you will very much enjoy this book. Yeah. And hey, um, we have Angry Robots, who is publishing this book, has offered to do a giveaway of some of the ebooks for this, I believe. So see, it, you hung in there, and this <laughs> is your reward. Yeah, lucky give you. Give away, book giveaway, hey, book giveaway. Wait a minute, they have two rewards. They get they they might get an ebook, but you definitely get me reading an excerpt for you, which oh, is going to be true. fun. That's um, true. So that's so look, if if you if you're interested in getting a copy of this book, here's what we want you to do. I want you to send an email to 
us, but I don't want you to send it to the editor address at Podcastle or the submit address. Send it to Dave at escapeartist.net, and we want you to and do a couple of things. Go ahead, nope, Anna. I'm going to say this part. And in your email to Dave at escapeartist.net, you will include your email address so that we can notify you and your favorite prime number. I, I, that's right. Favorite prime number. I, I like that Anna's telling you guys what to send me in my email. That's good. Yeah. So that's pretty, often that's how pretty much it works. how I roll. <laughs> But. Oh, hey. <laughs> hey, look, you guys, it's been it's been a real blast. We hope you enjoy this book. Um, thank you again for letting us uh, come at, come out and hang out with you and talk mm-hmm. to you about books and fantasy and all this great stuff. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Check out the book. And uh, well, anything let us else know what you, you think. Yeah. Yeah. Hop onto our forum and let us know what you think, because believe it or not, I'm probably still going to be on that forum a little bit. Um, so you should be too. What's your excuse? Um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, let us know what you think. Shoot us some emails. And uh, anything else you want to say, Anna? No, no. It's been a pleasure. It's been a delight. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. And uh, it's a great book. Yeah. And now for your second reward. Your second reward is a bright and shiny excerpt of the book read by the one and only Dave Thompson. Let's make some magic. All right. See you guys. Thanks, guys. Hey, guys, it's me again, but this time I want you to pretend I'm talking as Ferret Steinmetz, at least for a little while. Then I'll go back to me talking as me reading a Ferret Steinmetz book instead of me reading Ferret Steinmetz's commentary. It'll make sense. Trust me. Normally, I'd start you out by having Dave read you the first chapter of my book, but in the first chapter, a sad college kid overdoses on magical drugs and dies and is never heard from again, so that's awkward. In the second chapter, we discover what a nice guy our hero Paul is, just before the overdosing college kid accidentally sets Paul's apartment complex on fire, and that third chapter, where Paul attempts to use his newfound magical skills to rescue his six-year-old daughter Aaliyah from the fire, well, it's kind of a downer. So, let's skip to the fun part. The chapter where Paul brews up crystallized drugs laced with pure magic. But before we get there, let's explain how magic works in the world of Flex. It all comes down to obsession. If you're a crazy cat lady and really love those kittens, then eventually you might cross the event horizon and start doing crazy cat magic. You'll become a philomancer. But by then, the only thing you'll care about is protecting your rampant horde of kittens, which explains why mancers haven't exactly taken over the world. The other reason why mancers haven't exactly taken over the world is because the universe frickin' hates magic. If you break the laws of physics, the universe tries to rebalance the odds by raining horrendous bad luck down on your head in a process called flux. Unbelievable coincidences will hurt you, and everyone you love. The college kid, riding high on stolen magic, accidentally blew himself up in a gas main explosion that trapped Paul's daughter in a burning bedroom. And in an attempt to rescue his daughter from the flames, Paul... Well, 
Let's just say that Aaliyah is pretty badly hurt after Paul's magical backlash hits her. Paul is a bureaucromancer, which means that he feels very strongly about the power of paperwork. He can conjure up rental agreements out of midair, or drop warrants into the NYPD files to send a SWAT team crashing through your door. And now, for some reason that you will have to read the book to find out, Paul is brewing up magical drugs because it's the only way to save his daughter. He's being assisted by Valentine, a goth video game mancer who can summon the power of Grand Theft Auto and go on major rampages. She's his sensei, his magical teacher, even though she doesn't know much more about magic than he does. Ready? Let's make some goddamn magic. How to make flex. Valentine twirled the handle on the bingo machine they'd set up in the moldy living room. She plucked out five wooden balls with fading letters, laid them into a tray. She frowned, a fortune teller reading tea leaves. She kept whirling the handle until the balls ricocheted inside the metal cage, then removed five balls to stare at them. It could have been cautious preparation were it not for the way she bit her lip and avoided his gaze. No patterns this time? Paul asked. Nothing obvious, Valentine drained another red bull her hands shaking for more than caffeine. I've been told sometimes the balls come out spelling arcane mathematical patterns, so you'd never know it wasn't random without a PhD, but if that's the case, we're doomed anyway. I haven't done, Mancy, since we got here. Neither of you. We should be at perfectly normal odds now, unless you know something I don't. Paul sat at the kitchen table they'd moved into the living room, wanting to get this over with. He'd spread his forms out before him, perfectly aligned, flanked by three new big pins. Valentine had eyed his equipment with interest, but said nothing. Beyond the paperwork were long-stemmed Olympics, ultra-slim watering cans of smooth glass, copper tubes corkscrewed in and out of inscribed distillation devices that would, theoretically, condense Paul's raw mancy into drugs. Valentine had set a silver knife, its blade scabbed with blood, next to the Bix. He drew aimless patterns in the cookie sheet heaped with brown hematite, which looked like a huge container of eyeshadow. Paul swallowed back anxiety. It was like waiting in front of a roller coaster, standing in line while you looked over the drop and imagined the fall. Valentine glanced at the unused loops of copper wire in the corner. Are you sure we can't use the siphon to push the back luck elsewhere? Paul flattened his palms against the table. There's nothing that would make me endanger Aaliyah again. My job is the only thing I value, and if I lose that, I lose the insurance. I lose my daughter. So tell me, what do I have that's big enough to ground loose flux? Nothing, she whispered. If this goes wrong... The worst luck will hit everything in the area, billion to one long shots that will cripple me in all the ways I fear most. Valentine closed her eyes, hyperventilating. You promised you'd help. I did. You realize you're taking your life in your hands, right? I do. And that you could take me with you? Yes. I started with the first part because I thought it'd be more motivating, but you realize it's the second part I care about. He whipped out his phone to brandish a picture at her, Aaliyah and her better days. Valentine nodded. Then she held up her fist and waggled it in the air, 
as if deciding whether to throw rock, paper, or scissors. She extended her finger, pointing at him. Do magic, she commanded. Paul stared blankly. How? Mancy isn't rituals, Paul. It's love. When you started, I'll bet dimes to dollars you didn't fire up Mancy to do anything. You just did it. And the Mancy flowed from that love. Paul thought back to his nighttime shifts at Samaritan Mutual, trying to conceive of the universal unified form. The single form that, once created, would be so comprehensive that it would obviate the need for any other form ever again. Those were just silly daydreams to distract him from his impending divorce, but, in Paul's mind, the form was sprawling, large enough to lie across mountains like a napkin tossed over a dinner plate. But there had been something reassuring about cataloging every activity a human could ever request of someone, then devising a set of flexible fields to cover that eventuality. The universal unified form omitted nothing. No matter what trouble you encountered, the universal unified form had a place for you. Paul scribbled on the blank papers, starting where he always did. First name, middle name, last name, sex, date of birth, address one, address two, city. A lumbex rattled on the table. The blank paper expanded to the size of a kite as Paul scribbled upon it, drawing boxes and underlines and scores to handle the automobile purchases, then any repair work that had to be done upon the automobiles, then the list of parts the shop might order to repair the automobiles. He half heard Valentine's voice. N46, I26, B7, G54. No pattern. The automobiles had factories that needed parts. The parts required bills of lading, tax statements, tracking numbers. The people who delivered the parts would have insurance claims, expense reports, OSHA forms. B-15, Valentine's voice rose in excitement. I-30, N-49, G-52, O-68. Keep going, Paul. Keep going. Paul imagined the tax forms for the parts and felt that distant muscle flex. Back at Samaritan, his office was a blur of dancing paperwork. If his co-workers were nearby, they'd hear the cheerleader pom-pom shake of all the forms cheering Paul on. B-10, I-20, N-30, G... <gasps> she swallowed. G-10, 456243, O-... Dash... X marks the spot? Paul, you're, you're doing something very strange here. Paul didn't stop. He was on to the international treaties, the trade agreements, the currency exchanges. Valentine waded through the waist-deep piles of paper, trying to grab the rolls as they shot out in freshly inked streams, wrestling them like a snake. She got a grasp, hugged them, and hauled them back to the Alembic. She looked terrified elated, orgasmic. She was literally hip-deep in the magic, flush with a wild thrill. Paul recognized the feeling from when he spied on other mansers, that happiness of watching the universe dance to someone else's tune. Valentine wept.
She folded the forms into crisp edges, squeezing droplets of pure sunshine into the alembic. As the drops tumbled off the edge of the forms, the forms turned gray and dull. They crumbled into ash as she extracted the raw magic into the alembic. It was like watching his dreams die. Valentine turned to grab another handful. Paul yanked her back. She slapped him. You can't leave your love in this, Paul, she yelled, barely audible over the tumult of thrashing confetti. It has to be clean. Paul knew why. He'd once helped capture a mancer called Death Metal. His cartoonish flex, rife with power riffs, had been easy to trace back to an obsessed music lover. That would be him, if he didn't flinz his personality from the magic. How long would it take his boss, Kit, to track bureaucratic-flavored flex back to Paul? Help me! Valentine was drowning in paper. He strangled his magic, squeezing his personality out, poured the sad, strained remnants into that damned glass cup. He'd never thought of flex as a mockery of Mancy, but it was. All that passion, all that individual beauty, stripped clean, so boring people could fulfill mundane dreams. I know, Valentine whispered, her tears falling into the dead ash piling up at their feet. I know. He understood now why Valentine had never been able to brew flex. She'd turned that basement into a kinetic joy of whizzing hedgehogs and diving starfighters, and she couldn't bring herself to kill that beauty. Freed. Her magic had surged forth in a wild cascade, following its own bliss, releasing fireworks of pixels that had allowed Paul to track her down. The sun-fluid, raw magic boiled out of the alembic, turned the copper tubes molten red, tumbling into sigiled boxes and out again, becoming less him with every step. It was a magic slaughterhouse, a place where you shoved in bright-plumed birds, and vomited out shredded pink meat. Paul felt nauseated from this destruction, sick from the bad luck flux smashing down on him like a mattress, making each breath a struggle. The fluid boiled out. The magic danced like water tossed on a red-hot pan, squirming on a cookie sheet heaped with hematite. You have to force them in, Valentine told him. You have to bond them. She took his hands, pressed them against the tray, trapping the raw magic between Paul's palms and the gritty hematite. I can't do it. It belongs to you. Paul scooped up great handfuls of hematite and magic alike, mashing them together like eggs into cake mix. The power thrummed up his arms, trying to flow back into his body. He forced it back. The gritty dirt clumped together, condensing into cold chunks of crystal as he rooted the magic inside. Pounds of hematite shrank into pebbles of growing flex. His arms ached. The congestion of stray luck, the flux, pressed his eyelids against his eyeballs. But opaque white stones of flex rested in a nest of damp hematite. Okay, Valentine spoke with the low hush of someone about to defuse a bomb. Now, shove the flux in there, too. Paul thought of that stupid freshman, unable to handle the flux blowback, accidentally unleashing a fire 
that scarred Aaliyah forever. Of all the other innocents killed in horrid accidents, all for the crime of being near some asshole riding high on stolen magic. He couldn't let that happen to anyone else. No. We're not making this shit for friends, Paul. You're carrying a cataclysmic load of bad luck. If you don't bind the flux with the magic, all that is going to rain down on your head. She licked her lips, pleading. And mine. The flux snaked in around him. He thought of crippled Delia. If he pushed the bad luck into the drugs, Paul would pass these deadly coincidences on to the people least fit to handle them. I can't. The room sparked in colors the human eye could not name, the excess magic straining against the bonds of reality. I know it'll kill us, Valentine, but I can't. I can't let this go. That's the deal, Paul. You wanted to learn magic. You wanted me to teach you, so put the fucking flux in the stones before it backlashes. I will not. She flexed her fingers, an old-style gunslinger, hovering her hand over her holster. I'm too close to the center. Even if I ran, I'd still get zapped. So don't make me try something stupid. She swallowed, then added, Please, Paul, put the fucking flux in. Something rustled beneath Paul's fingertips. The last living bit of the universal unified form heaved itself up weakly, the remnants of a transfer form. Of course. Get back! As he shoved Valentine away, a huge gout of that color that was not a color surged from his fingers, catapulting her across the room. He knelt before the half-dead form, scrawling the relevant words across the top. Hazardous waste transfer. What was bureaucracy best at, if not transferring blame from one department to another? Valentine fought to get at Paul as he scrawled magic sigils across the page. Generator's name and mailing address, EPA ID number, waste codes, and then the critical portion, assigned material transfer site. Woods outside of cabin, he wrote, and scribbled his name just as Valentine grabbed the silver dagger to stab him. The house slid left. The earth shook with a bowel-loosening rumble, glassware flying in every direction. Paul saw the woods sliding downward, massive tree trunks toppling, long-buried roots spraying dirt into the air. An earthquake, Paul thought amazed. In upstate New York... He stumbled to the window to watch the outlook in the backyard break free. Trees in the shallow soil on the mountain slope tumbled downwards into the river below. The water would be choked with dead wood, the surviving animals waking to a whole new environment. Valentine grasped the windowsill, smiling in crazed wonderment at him, at the last rumbles of dirt cascading down the hill of the trees shaking like thrash metal fans in the pit. There was no pressure. He'd rerouted the flux somewhere else. Valentine scrabbled on the floor, grabbed a clear chunk of flex between two fingers, peered through it. Paul could see a distorted ripple of Valentine's eye, 
the flax transparent as water. This is clear, she said in a hushed tone. She shook the crystal to verify its existence. Clear, Paul. Be one great. I'm no expert, but this is legendary. Top quality. Nobody's made this since the 1950s. She scrubbed tears from her eyes. This will fix all my problems. You could have done it yourself. She did a double take. Are you kidding? Not that way. That was awesome. Valentine capered around the room joyously. I told you I was no expert, Paul, but you, you're the flex fucking master. Clear flex is the holy grail of Mancy, and you can keep making it for as long as you want because you can redirect the blowback. She shook his shoulders. Do you understand, Paul? You are the king of flex. Paul stared at her for a few moments, uncomprehending. Then he thought about Imani and Kit, thirsting for Mansur's blood. He thought about Smash, reducing all this glorious variety to a single grim purpose. He thought about Samaritan Mutual, hunting Mansur's to remove this glory from the world. This is what I was born for, he thought dizzily. And his laughter was as wild as magic.